Well, why don't we pray as we ask God to help us um, to understand this word he has for us and its implications for the way we live today. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we ask that as we think through your word, your life-giving word now, that by your spirit you would shape us and comfort us and challenge us and make us more like your son. We are so thankful that even in this time that we're a little scattered, (laughs) that you still speak. You speak in your word every time we read it. And as we gather together, the the joy that it is as we gather around your word. And so we ask that you'd challenge us and comfort us and encourage us. In your word, we pray. In your son's name. Amen. Well, we all get a sense of what it's like um, to be confused about life uh, and about what happens next and what our future holds. there's a sense of anxiety that, that we all feel, that none of us knows what the details of tomorrow bring. Well, that's actually the situation that Jesus' followers are in here in this part of the text as we get to this next section in John chapter 16. It is amazing how God's word keeps speaking into our world uh, in a way that really is um, amazingly relevant for us. We need to keep being reminded of that. The situation Jesus' followers are in here in John is that Jesus has just told them that he's going to leave. He's about to go away from them. And he told them that they could not come. He was going to go back to the Father. And then he said the world is going to hate them as it hated him. And so his followers, the disciples, they're, they're confused. They're like, what, what is going on at this point? They don't really understand what's happening. Now come with me to John chapter 16, verse 16. A little while... And you will no longer see me again a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? We don't know what he's talking about. So if you've ever found yourself coming to the Bible and not understanding what God is saying to us, we're in good company of the disciples here as they think through what is Jesus saying? The first thing we need to see about this confused situation that they are in is point number two, that Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's going on for the disciples amidst their confusion and and anxieties and stresses. He knows it's hard and it will get hard. He knows how hard it is going to be in the coming days. Jesus is about to walk to his death. He's about to die on a cross. And his followers are going to be left in in a place that is is hard and, and full of grief. So in verse 19, Jesus says this. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So truly, I tell you, You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. It's easy in life to think that the future is totally unknown. I felt like that this week. So many times things have changed and we've made plans that had to be remade. And there's a sense where you you just don't know what's going on. Uh, There's a sense where you feel out of control because you don't know the details of what's coming up next. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And really, it is out of our control. But the comforting news that we hear Jesus speak of here is that it is not out of his control. The world we live in is not out of his control. It's not unknown to him. And so he speaks into the lives of the disciples. He knows what's going on for his friends, just like he knows what's going on for you and me today. Now, that doesn't mean that life will always be easy. Quite the opposite, actually. Jesus... He knows their confusion. He knows what will happen next. He knows how the disciples will respond and he knows how things are going to end. And so he tells them, in point number three, that their sorrow will become joy. That their sorrow will become joy. 
The future Jesus is talking about here to his disciples is the cross. As he walks to his death and the disciples are about to walk through the the sorrow and grief and mourning and pain, Jesus brings confidence to his followers and a certainty to his followers that amongst their confusion, his word provides certainty. Not spelling out every detail to them, but providing the only detail they need. That's one of the things we keep seeing in the scriptures. The scriptures don't lay out for us everything that will happen. They don't give us a blueprint and a play-by-play way of working out the, the future. But God does give us what we need to know about the future to give us confidence in in the present and to help us to to walk through the times of hardship. So Jesus says in verse 20, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now notice here, Jesus responds uh, to their need, not to the original question. They want to understand what Jesus said about leaving and coming back. That's what they want to know. They're like, why are you going? What's happening? We're confused about what's going on. Where are you going? When will it happen? But Jesus doesn't answer their question. He answers their deepest anxieties. He forces them to face head on the grief that they're about to see that they've been putting off and putting aside and assures them that 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 grief, that time between Jesus' death and him coming back will pass through from sorrow to joy. That their sorrow will be temporary and the joy will be their final state. And so with this promise in their hearts, uh, the deep sorrow that will rock their world in only a few hours will be stabilized, buffered by the larger perspective of who is in control and the joy that it will bring. Jesus is saying to these disciples, great pain is coming, but it won't last. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, sometimes today, God treats us in a very similar way. He chooses not to answer our questions, but our needs. And sometimes those answers come by him providing a a larger perspective on life. (laughs) Like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, it might be worth reading through a little after, who, who trusted God at his word. They endured all sorts of trials and pain and grief, all sorts of things that were going on for them, looking forward to the promises of God to come to their fulfillment. So the disciples at this point here would hear the promise of Jesus, that their sorrow would turn into joy. They don't get it, not now, but when that happens, when that grief comes in only a few hours' time for them, they'll start to remember Jesus' words. And then, when their sorrow turns into joy, they'll recognize that he is in control of the whole world and of everything. Jesus promises us today, uh, not that tears and sorrows won't come and that hardship will, will be away. No, no, he doesn't say that at all, but he promises that they won't last, not forever. The disciples' sorrow is not simply replaced with joy. It's not like, oh, I take out the sorrow and then I put in joy. If you look carefully, Jesus is saying that their sorrow will turn into joy. The illustration he gives is is of a woman in labor. Now, I've never been in labor myself. Uh, It's not really that possible. Um, But I've been there for a few, uh, four of my own and one of a friend's. And that's another story that I try and not remember. Uh, But uh, one of the great things that I've witnessed is labor has its quota of pain. Now, when I say great, I don't mean in a positive sense, but in a hard sense, a hardship. Uh, The thing with labor, though, is that the very thing that generates the pain, this child coming into the world, is the thing that generates the joy. 
It's the thing that generates the pain that is generating the joy. So with the disciples. That's what Jesus is saying. The thing that generates their grief, the cross, Jesus' death, will generate their joy because he's dying in their place and taking away their sin. And their joy will not and cannot be taken away because their joy is from Jesus' death and then resurrection. See, we need this perspective today as we face the world around us. It's so easy to get caught up in, in the here and the now with trials and sorrows and anxiety and uncertainty that this world brings. But we today get to look back on what the disciples at this point were only promised. We get to look back on Jesus' resurrection and his death. I mean, imagine for a moment that Jesus only died, that that was all there was. And that might be what you're, you think yourself today. You're coming along, checking out the things of Jesus. You might be thinking, well, he's a good moral teacher and such a shame that his life had to end after only three years of public ministry. But I want to show you that it's not just a shame, that if his death was his end, he was a liar. Because he said that their, their sorrow would turn into joy, that, that his death, it couldn't be for nothing. It could not be for nothing and it was not for nothing. And it didn't bring them joy. But what did bring the joy, historically, was what history records happened after Jesus' death. That it was not the end. That Jesus rose again from death. That death has been defeated. And that he rose again as he promised he would to show that this new age is coming, this new time of the end of all things. A time to come to Jesus as the promised king. A time to come to and put your trust in him. People saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. They, they ate with him, they talked with him, and they, they worshipped him as God. And the thing that caused their sorrow, his death in their place, was the very thing that caused them joy, that Jesus had died and taken the penalty for them. Jesus' death was not a shame. It was horrific, yes, but it is the thing that causes great joy. And it cannot be taken because it has already happened. Now today we get to see that, you and I, with with even more clarity than the disciples did, because we get to see the resurrection. And that's actually what Jesus promised them, more clarity in their understanding. In John 16, 23, he said, In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, as we come along to this part of the Bible, we often get caught up and say, Wow, Jesus says, anything you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. And we jump to all the immediate problems that we have. Please get rid of this present danger. Please uh, give me a new Lamborghini. Please help my, um, uh, my, my, my life to go better. Please give me a new job. And we think about all the things that we think are taking up our world. Um, but we miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when their sorrow turns to joy, i.e. when he rises from the dead and comes back, that the first thing we see is that you will not ask him anything. Why is that? Because the confusion will be cleared up. And that's where we stand today. The confusion is cleared up. Jesus has risen. He has he he defeated death. We don't need to ask Jesus what this event was about uh, or, or why he was coming and going and what that was and what time it happened. It's blatantly clear to us and to them once they've experienced it. So the first thing they get here after Jesus returns is a clarity of understanding of what all this was about. But the second thing, is the amazing privilege of access to God the Father, and particularly access to God the Father in prayer. I don't know um, the way you think about your earthly dad. Uh, all of us have different um, types of relationships with our dad, some great, um, some hard. But in this perfect fatherhood that God has, Jesus is saying, because of what he's doing, 
He is giving us access to the Father. Up until this point, they, they couldn't ask the Father anything. Uh, and they couldn't ask it in Jesus' name either because Jesus hadn't died and risen. They could just talk to Jesus and Jesus could ask on, on their behalf. But there is no way they could have any place or presence with the Father. It's worth noting for a moment that, that you and I, um, we have no place on our own in the presence of God the Father. We can't just waltz up to him and kind of ask him questions. Not, not given who we are, the way that we've rejected him, the way that we think, you know, I'm not going to listen to the way you've made the world. I'm just going to put myself in the center of the world. No, we are, we are sinners. We're people who've turned our backs on God, all of us. We've not placed him in the right place in our lives. And it is like just ignoring our earthly father, but way worse. Because we deserve well, what we're asking for. We don't want the God who provides life in our life. And we don't deserve life. We deserve death. Death should be what we get. And if we want to come into the presence of the Father, as we are, not, not being perfect people, not being like Him, then we're actually asking for a death sentence. We're asking to come to Him because, and, and, and be in His presence will, will cause incredible, incredible judgment for us because of who we are. We think we can put God on trial, but we miss the magnitude of difference between us and God. He's perfect. And we are neither God nor perfect. So to come into his presence would mean we would be rightly judged, smashed, obliterated. However, Jesus' death, the thing that will cause the apostles great sorrow, will turn to joy precisely because it brings the disciples and us, if we trust in him, into relationship with the Father. All along, Jesus' mission has been to reveal the Father to the world. His death in our place means that you and I can come into the presence of God the Father. That's an amazing reality that we get to do, to know Him and not be under His judgment. I still remember all those times of getting in trouble from my dad for things that I'd rightly done and I deserved to be in trouble. And there were times that I just did not want to be in his presence because I knew I'd be, well, I'd be punished. I didn't like that. We don't like that. But to come to him knowing he'd forgiven me, that he'd borne the cost of whatever thing I'd broken or whatever damage I'd done, to be able to come to him as my dad in that relationship, oh, it was great. It was restoration of relationship. And this is so much better it's the creator of the universe. You can be in relationship with him and speak to him directly because of what Jesus has done. And you know what Jesus tells us? That our father, the father, loves us. Look at verse 27 of chapter 16. For the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Trusting in Jesus' death um, really that he is God the Son, that he deals with our sin and shame, it means we can experience the love of God the Father. And that's what we, we get to in our next point in the outline, experiencing the Father's joy, or the joy that comes from the Father. When Jesus talks about the joy that would come, he's not talking about his return on that last day, but the relationship with the Father, that his death and his resurrection would make possible for them. To personally know God as Dad, the God who should be against us and punish us, but then know that he loves us and has forgiven us or in Jesus. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. 
And that's what the Bible talks about as our justification, just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified before God. That's a great thing to know that, that, that there's in the relationship between me and God that there's, there's no barrier in that way. But to be loved by God as our dad is to be part of his family. That's far better than just being cleared or forgiven of the things we've done. It's being able to know him and, and, and to speak to him and experience his love and the joy that that brings. It's so much bigger and better and greater than just our justification. You become part of the family of God. If you trust in Jesus, then you've been moved from sorrow to joy, from slaves to sons. If you trust in Jesus, I just want us to take a moment to to reflect on what it is to be a child of God, particularly a son of God who will inherit all his blessings. Just reflect for a moment. To know God, who should judge me, loves me. To know that my future is not that judgment, but life. That our present relationship of being able to come to Him is a reality that we can do right now. We can speak to Him in prayer and He hears us. Rather than saying, get lost. You want nothing to do with me, you're gone. You deserve my judgment. We get to listen to Him in His word. We get to know the God who made us. I wonder if you've reflected on the sheer delight of what it is to know God as Father and how that changes the way we think about the world we live in and the troubles and trials that we come across and the frustrations that are there, that you can know the creator of the universe who is in control of all things and who literally can do anything at any moment for his plans and purposes and yet promises to do them for our good, for the good of those who love him. Well, that's joyful, isn't it? Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain because he can call God his father because of Jesus' work on the cross. Let me ask you, are you experiencing his joy? Not replacing the sorrow of Jesus' death and the hardships with his joy, but are you actually seeing how great it is to be able to call God our father, to come and ask him Anything in Jesus' name, in line with Jesus' will, in line with God's glory. Sometimes we think that joy should just come on us. I don't know, I'm a bit like this at times. I kind of think, God, please help me to be joyful. And I I sit there and just wait for it to rain down on high. (laughs) Uh, Change me somehow, just click, click a switch and it'll happen. But what we see here is that the joy of knowing God, the joy that Jesus speaks of, um, doesn't just rain down on us. It doesn't come that way while we sit and soak it up that God just gives me some amazing presence or something like that. That's not the expectation of Jesus. In chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus talks about the way that joy will come. Have a look. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. If we want to experience the joy of knowing the Father and knowing his love, we need to remain in the thing that keeps, that is the joyful thing, that is his love. We need to listen to him, not in order to earn the joy that he has, but in order to experience it. See, the joy is obeying his word. And actually taking his word seriously and living that out and going, oh, the freedom to live God's way rather than trying to work out what is right or wrong and actually listening to what God has to say. The joy is obedience. It's not something that comes despite obedience. 
The joy here is, is remaining in his love. It's not a reward for a harsh duty. Do this really hard thing and, and then you'll get joy. It's saying, no, I'm going to remain recognizing that God has loved me. Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus has done. Now, joy is knowing the Father and his love for us. The person who expects bundles of joy to be showered upon them, all the while rejecting Jesus' commands, rejecting the word of God and distancing themselves from God's word, well, when we do that, we're deluded. Because we're saying, I'm going to remove myself from the thing that gives us joy, knowing God and hearing his word and living it out. We run in so many different directions when things get hard, when confusion and anxiety steps into our life or when uh, a false confidence enters our lives as well. We think that we don't need God or his love and we distance ourselves from God. Uh, We've got no consistency of relationship with him when we do that. In prayer, in obedience to his good commands. It's no surprise when we do that, when we, when we run away from him and when we, we get stepped aside from who he is and what he's done, that we don't experience his joy. Because we're not delighting in that which brings joy. We're not delighting in him. And I'm guilty of that. I guess as you are too. Another way to think about it is to ask yourself, what does bring you joy? What is it that makes you light up and go, yes, this is so good? The promise of relief from sickness, well, that would be a great thing. Uh, the promise of uh, a new job or certainty or security in so many different areas. There, there are so many things that flood into my mind when I think about what brings me joy. But Jesus is saying obedience to him and the Father's word is what brings us joy. It actually does. Let me ask you, is that a joy or a burden to you? Obeying Jesus. Is speaking to our Father in prayer a pain or a privilege? Now, the great news is if if these things are more of a burden than a blessing, then there's so much more of God to to get to know that we we all need to keep growing in. There'll always be more of God to know. But but if you're not enjoying the privilege of obeying Him and, and, and knowing Him and speaking to the Father in prayer because of what Jesus has done, then you're missing out on His joy. Come today and and delight in him. Amidst the anxieties and uncertainties of life, experience the joy Jesus guarantees because of his death and resurrection. Experience the joy of coming to our God as Father. You know, at the end of his life, the Apostle John, as an old man, um, talks about his joy and what excited him. Having run the race, he says this in 3 John uh, 3. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. What brings John joy is that those who who have come to Christ and are trusting in Jesus hold on to that gospel unreservedly and are still walking in the truth of that because then they are living a joyful life and they are bringing glory to God and so their prayers as they speak to the Father are in line with God's will and His plans and purposes. Oh yes, we can bring all our anxieties and petitions to God but when we recognize that God is in control, that His plans and purposes always come to fulfillment, we'll speak to Him with such a confidence about the things that matter, the things that last for eternity, about standing firm in Christ. That's what John labored his whole life for. That's what he prays for and devotes himself to. And that's what brings John great joy. 
What happens next in the passage is Jesus then points out the change that will come from hearing his word and understanding that joy. It will move from confusion to courage. Confusion to courage. At this point in our history, so much is changing. So much is confusing. But God has placed you where you are right now and me where I am and us in this society to experience the joy of knowing the Father. The confidence that that comes with. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Knowing that Jesus will come back. And knowing the joy that comes from obeying him and from him revealing the knowledge that we are his children. And the joy that comes from proclaiming the truth of the gospel to a world desperately who needs to hear it. Now, we're not going to be perfect as we move in this world from the confusion to confidence. We're going to fall over. And what's great is that we get to see the disciples were far from perfect too. They would shrink back in fear. They say, we believe you, Jesus. We don't need to know anymore. But then what happens is that um, they forget about it. And Jesus says, well, you're actually going to not believe me. You're actually going to walk away. You'll leave me alone at the cross. And they all did it. They all deserted him. What it shows us is that the spread of the gospel doesn't depend on your skill, on your abilities or mine. It doesn't depend on um, you doing things perfectly and saying exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. God is bringing about his plans and purposes through you. And he uses broken people like these disciples who, who all reject him at the cross. But then later he raises up to see this message head out across the whole world. See, it gives great confidence. It doesn't rely on our abilities. The spread of the gospel is not dependent on my skill level, strength or knowledge, but on God's divine plan and control. So Jesus can say at the end of chapter 16 in verse 33, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Death, our greatest foe, has been conquered. Jesus died our death, Paul tells us. And he's risen again. And he tells us that the age that we are in now is the age of spreading the news that life beyond death is available to all who would come and trust in him. There'll be all sorts of suffering in this world and we're experiencing some of it to a small degree and it's probably just going to get more at different points and times. But we don't need to be anxious or worried. If God wants to take us home, he will. His plans and purposes will happen. We need to be wise. We need to be loving to the world around us. And that's why we're we're not gathering together in big groups right now because we long for people to hear the news of Jesus before they meet their maker, before judgment day, to be in Christ. But this is not the time to shrink back. It's not the time to retreat into isolation and not say anything. Sure, we need to keep some physical distance, but because of Jesus, we've been brought closer to our Father. We can call him our dad and we get to experience the joy of knowing him and praying in line with his name for his glory and acting in line with his name. But friends, because of Jesus, we can have great joy and great peace and great confidence that no person can take from us. No virus can steal, no sorrow or grief can overwhelm because Jesus has already died our death and he has risen to life and he sent his spirit to live in us so we can understand the implications of who he is and what he's done. He's brought us into the love of the Father And he's promised us life in its fullness with the Father now and in the age to come, eternal life. When Jesus returns, when when or when death brings us home. Jesus wants you and I to see the world today from his perspective. To experience the joy of knowing the Father, even throughout trials and hardship. 
When events seem out of our control, they're not out of God's control. They're part of his plan. The victory that's already been won has been won at the cross. Jesus says, I have been victorious. So trust him and be courageous. Take opportunities to talk of your confidence in Christ. That no matter what happens in the coming days, that we trust in him, that our future is secure. Love your neighbours. If they need help, help them. Offer to take, um, uh, you know, run errands for them and, and to help them out in, in times of need, to take them a meal perhaps or whatever that is. Think through how you can love the world around you in an appropriate way as you reflect on the security that Jesus' death gives us and the joy his death gives us and the amazing gift that we have been given. Well, friends, why don't we pray together and ask God to help us to live in line with that way of understanding who Jesus is and what he has achieved in bringing us to the Father. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that today we can come together uh, through the technology you provided, through the energy and efforts of people who've been able to make this happen throughout the week. But we thank you even more for the death of your son and for his resurrection and the confidence he gives that we can go out into the world calling you our Father, prayerfully depending on you. Lord, keep us from drifting into all sorts of false securities around us and give us a great confidence as as individuals, as families, as flats, as a church to stand firm for the hope that you have given us and proclaim that in the world around us. Please give us opportunities. Please bring many, many more people to know you at this time. We know this is your plan and we know your plans are good. So please help us, Lord, to keep honouring you, to keep trusting in you, to keep revelling in the joy that comes because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.